This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that pays tribute to people of the past by telling their stories today. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're talking about the life and death of one of the world's most admired wartime poets. The day was November 4th, 1918. At the tail end of the First World War, British poet Wilfred Owen was killed in action during an assault on a German-held canal on the western front of France. Owen was only 25 years old at the time of his death, which occurred just one week before Armistice Day, when the Allied powers signed a ceasefire with Germany. Now considered one of the greatest English poets of the 20th century, nearly all of the poems Owen is known for were written in the year leading up to his untimely death. Wilfred Owen was born on March 18, 1893, in Shropshire, England. Shortly after his grandfather's passing in 1897, the Owen family moved to Birkenhead, where Wilfred began his education. Nine years later, when he was a teen, the family moved to Shrewsbury. Wilfred resumed his studies at the local technical school and developed an interest in the arts. He was especially fond of poetry, the work of Keats and Shelley in particular. He began writing his own verse as a teenager and kept at it in his spare time while attending London University. Unfortunately, Wilfred wasn't able to secure a scholarship, so he wound up leaving the school and taking a job as an assistant to a vicar in the small village of Dunstan. He spent two lonely years at the vicarage, working during the day and reading and writing poetry in the evenings. In 1913, when he was about 20 years old, Owen began teaching English at a school near Bordeaux, France. There, he became acquainted with an elderly poet and pacifist writer named Laurent Taillade, who encouraged Owen to devote himself to poetry full-time. Sadly, that plan went on hold when war broke out in the summer of 1914. The following year, Owen returned to England and volunteered with the war effort. By January of 1916, Owen had been commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Manchester Regiment and sent to the front lines in France. Two years later, Owen wrote about his initial motivations for enlisting, including his aspiration to chronicle what he called the pity of war. He explained, quote, I came out in order to help these boys, directly by leading them as well as an officer can, indirectly by watching their sufferings, that I may speak of them as well as a pleader can. In 1917, Owen got the chance to do both. Throughout the month of April, he and his platoon endured both record-breaking cold and snow, as well as a constant barrage of heavy shelling. For four long days and nights, Owen and his men were pinned down in an open field near the town of St. Quentin. With backup still days away, the soldiers were forced to wait in the snow with no chance to sleep or even change their clothes. Owen wrote vividly of the harrowing experience in a letter to his mother, saying, I kept alive on brandy, the fear of death, and the glorious prospect of the cathedral town just below us, 
glittering with the morning. For twelve days I did not wash my face, nor take off my boots, nor sleep a deep sleep. For twelve days we lay in holes where at any moment a shell might put us out. When Owen finally got to sleep later that month, he was awoken by an exploding shell which blasted him into the air. He spent the next several days huddled in a shallow hole with the body of his dead friend lying in a ditch not six feet away. When the coast seemed clear, Owen returned to base camp, shaken and disoriented. He was quickly diagnosed with shell shock, a new term at the time for what we would call PTSD today. Though his commanding officer was reluctant to let him go, Owen was soon dispatched for psychological treatment at the Craig Lockhart War Hospital in Edinburgh. His time there proved incredibly fruitful, offering not only a chance to heal from his trauma, but also to process it through the lens of poetry. His psychologist, Dr. A. Brock, encouraged him to edit the hospital journal as a way to help confront his recent suffering in France. Up until then, Owen had only written of his experiences in letters to his mother and brother. Dr. Brock's insight provided Owen with a new means of self-expression through the hospital journal, a change that was pushed even further by the coincidental arrival of a new patient. Six weeks into his time at the hospital, Owen was joined by Siegfried Sassoon, a friend and well-established fellow poet who quickly became his mentor. Owen had begun writing poems about his first three months in the war and was eager to get another poet's perspective. Sassoon provided encouraging feedback and ultimately became a major influence on the younger poet's work and a champion of that work after Owen's untimely death. When their treatment was finished, both men returned to active duty in France, but only Sassoon would live to see an end to the fighting. As for Owen, he fell one week short when he was shot and killed on November 4, 1918. It happened during a failed attempt by the British to cross the Sambre Canal in German-controlled territory. A week later, on the day armistice was declared, Owen's parents received a telegram informing them of their son's death as the town church bells rang in celebration. Only a handful of Owen's poems were published during his lifetime, but a collection of his work was released, with an introduction by Sassoon, in December of 1920. Owen is widely admired for his war poems in particular, all of which were written between August 1917 and September 1918, a few months before his death. This creative period coincides with his stay at the Craig Lockhart War Hospital, which granted the soldier a rare respite from the ongoing horrors of war so that he might process and document the ones he had already lived through firsthand. In hindsight, that time seems like a hard-won gift, not just for Owen and his legacy, but for the men in his battalion whom he spoke for, and for readers, past, present, and future. Owen's poetry often depicts the brutality of trench and gas warfare in graphic detail. This offered a stark contrast to the triumphant flag-waving poems of war popularized by earlier English poets. But Owen's poems aren't just indictments of war. He wrote bleak illustrations of the physical landscapes that surrounded him and his men, 
but he also celebrated the camaraderie that took root there and kept them going despite the bitter conditions they faced. Throughout his poems, Owen displays a compassion for his fellow soldiers, both friend and foe alike, yet balances these tender feelings with his indignation for the waste and sacrifice of war, something that he attributes not to enemy combatants, but to those in power who, quote, might relieve us and will not. The work of Wilfred Owen is a memorial to those who died in the First World War, but it's also a monument to anyone who ever fought for king or country. Another great poet, Dylan Thomas, expressed it best. He described Owen as, quote, a poet of all times, all places, and all wars, for there is only one war, that of men against men. Many of Owen's poems remain well-known today, including Anthem for Doomed Youth, Strange Meeting, and The Last Laugh, all of which can be easily found online. But because podcasts are an auditory experience, it only seems right to share one of Owen's poems here. It does contain upsetting imagery, so consider this the end of the episode if you'd rather read it for yourself. It's called Dulce et Decorum Est, and it's one of the poet's best. He never got the chance to record readings of his own work, so I offer my reading on his behalf. As a quick note, the final line of the poem is a Latin phrase from the Roman poet Horace. It translates as, It is sweet and fitting to die for one's country. Dulce et decorum est by Wilfred Owen Bent double like old beggars under sacks Knock-kneed, coughing like hags, we cursed through sludge, till on the haunting flares we turned our backs, and towards our distant rest began to trudge. Men marched asleep, many had lost their boots, but limped on, bloodshod. All went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots of gas shells dropping softly behind. Gas. Gas! Quick, boys! An ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. But someone still was yelling out and stumbling, and floundering like a man in fire or lime. Dim through the misty panes and thick green light, as under a green sea, I saw him drowning. In all my dreams, before my helpless sight, he plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. If in some smothering dreams, you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in, and watch the white eyes writhing in his face, his hanging face, like a devil's sick of sin. If you could hear, at every jolt, the blood come gargling from the froth-corrupted lungs, bitter as the cud of vile, incurable sores on innocent tongues. My friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory. The old lie. Dulce et decorum est pro patria mori. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. 
If you enjoyed the show, you can keep up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Show. You can also write to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you very much for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.